Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Thoughts on Purpose podcast. My name is Nash Mackey and it is an absolute privilege to have your company on today's episode as it is always. Guys, just so you get the most out of this episode, I strongly encourage you to take some great notes. If you can't do it right now, make sure you do it later, but take some notes on what you're going to learn in this interview and make sure you apply it because it's one thing to learn something, it's a whole other thing to apply it. When you apply, that's how you retain the information. That's what I want for you. I want this information to sincerely add value in your life. So make sure you apply what you learn. Also, share what you learn with other people. Again, that helps you retain the information on a deeper level. Share this interview out with the people you care about and so you get to have a, an impact in other people's lives as well. Speaking, being an action taker, guys. If you haven't already, head over to IamNashMackie.com. Subscribe. That way you get the opportunity to send your questions in when I interview amazing guests like today's guest. And uh, you get to have your questions answered. And while you're there on my website, guys, be sure to book a free 30-minute one-on-one strategy call with me so you and me get the opportunity to deep dive on crafting a super powerful identity for yourself because ultimately... We never rise above the level of our identity, guys, our self-belief, who we believe we are, what we believe we are capable of. So guys, do yourself a huge favor. Head over to imnashmackie.com and subscribe and book in a one-on-one free strategy call. My gift to you guys. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into today's interview. My friends, welcome to today's interview. My name is Nash Mackie and our guest today is Dr. John Demartini. Dr. John Demartini is a human behavior specialist. He's an educator, an internationally published author, and a business consultant. Dr. John is famous for having featured in the smash hit movie, The Secret. That's actually how I got introduced to his work. And once I got, I kind of found out about his work, I've just started immersing myself in it. And I really find his teaching so profound. I want to tell you a cool story. And it's about this book, just before we dive into the interview. So my wife and I moved to a part of Queensland uh, just a couple of years back and we'd been really looking forward to this, this move. We moved into state and we got to our new house and we discovered that the area we'd chosen and the house we'd chosen were just really quite run down and the area was you know, known for its high crime rate and so we were very on edge living in this house you know, with people getting their doors kicked in next door. It was quite an amazing experience. And we went to the bin one day to bring out some recycling my wife held open the bin for me and lo and behold there in the bin in this really crazy time of our lives we were feeling so frustrated and so confused as to why this whole situation happened there was this book sitting in the bin now it had something stained i don't know what that is but it didn't bother me i picked this book up i read it and it impacted my life so powerfully it taught me mainly how you know my beliefs about money that I had up to that point were so off course and ever since I read that book things have started to gain momentum around my finances for me massively it's incredible how when you've got a mission for your life and you act with absolute faith things start to fall into place John is going to share some amazing insights in this interview with you so I'm going to I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to let John share his wisdom with you. Wisdom he's acquired after reading over 30,000 books. I'm certain you want to get value out of this interview. So without further ado, let's get into it. 
I wanted to begin by thanking you for the impact you're having through your work. I got to attend your amazing breakthrough experience on the weekend. And uh, just to see firsthand the power humans have to take any event of their life, no matter how tragic, and transform it into one that's actually on the way rather than in the way was, was mind-blowing. I got to see a woman's grief dissolved in, in a matter of hours that you've been carrying, carrying around for five years. So thank you for the work you do, and I really appreciate you being here today. No, thank you. Thank you for uh, being there over the weekend and for giving me the opportunity to share with the people you care about. Excellent. Excellent. So, John, you're obviously an avid learner. Learning and education is one of your highest values. Who has been your greatest teacher and what have they taught you? <laughs> well, I don't know if I can say that there's just one. I, I have been blessed to devour uh, thousands of books and, you know, stand on the shoulders of a lot of great minds. Um, so I don't know if there's any one that stands out other than I was inspired when I was 17 by Paul Bragg, but there's been many, many people along the way that, that have impacted me in many different disciplines and fields. So I don't know if there's one, but there, I would say there's thousands that have definitely stood out in my life. Mm -hmm. And so what did Paul Bragg teach you specifically that's, like, that's really shaped the course of your life? Well, when I was 17, I was living in a tent in Hawaii on the North shore and I was a surf buff and I um, was riding big waves there and I, and I nearly died and I had been a high school dropout and I was kind of a vagabond surfer guy. And one night in one hour, Paul Bragg, this one man with his one message, got to me, really spoke to me and really got to my heart. And that was the first night I believed that maybe I could learn how to read and learn and become intelligent. I had dropped out of school and was a street kid. I was told in first grade I would never be able to read or write or communicate or mount a thing that would go very far kind of life in life. And it was true. I just had problems. But I really, really got determined that night. I met Paul Bragg to see if I could overcome that. And it wasn't easy, but it was a, it was a journey. But it was a, a determination that led to what I'm doing today to want to overcome learning problems. Mm. My sister was the intelligent one. I was kind of the sport one. And um, I didn't know how to read till I was 18. It was after I met him that I actually read my first book. And that was a slow, tedious, tedious process. Yes. What <laughs> but I had a dream to do and travel the world and teach. And I, I, 46 years later, here I am. That's amazing. That is absolutely incredible. So what was that first book you read? The first book that I ever tried to read was Chico's Organic Gardening and You and Natural Living. Uh, it's really quite funny. The, the reason I got that book, I saw it at a health food store and the guy looked like me. He had beard and long hair and he looked like me. And I thought, if that sucker could write the book, I bet I could read it. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and so I picked it up and I started browsing through it and a lot of pictures of gardens and stuff. It was a gardener really and yep. and uh but i thought because the way he looked he and i could relate to him yep. and uh, that was my first book that i ever tried to read and then i tried another book and i just couldn't do it and i it wasn't until i was 18 when i started to I actually 
really had a challenging moment in my life. I decided I was going to start learning a dictionary and read 30 words a day. My mom used to train me or test me on 30 words a day until my vocabulary was strong enough to be able to read it. Wow. It was a slow, steady, 30 word a day, a, you know, gradual accumulation of words and their meaning and their pronunciation and their spelling that allowed me to overcome that, that challenge. And then once I learned how to do it, man, I haven't stopped since. So. Wow. 30,230 30, 30, something books later. My goodness. And so help me understand. So when, when you sat in that room with Paul Bragg at age 17, were you looking for something? Were you like, what, what, where were you at in your own, in your own headspace? Were you, were you hungry to seek something out? Were you looking for something? Well, I nearly died just weeks before that. And um, I had cyanide strychnine poisoning. And I remember waking up from being unconscious and because um, my diaphragm had stopped breathing, stopped moving at one point. And it, luckily it, it came back, but I, um, I was really in a kind of a low period there. And I said to myself when I was face down in my tent, it was not a pretty sight, that if I make it through this ordeal and I live, that I want to do something more meaningful with my life. Mm. And just at that moment, a lady found me in my tent in the jungle and led me, cleaned up the tent because it was a mess. I won't go into details, but led me to the little health food store. And at the health food store, that led me to a little talk. And that talk is where I met Paul Bragg. And yeah, and his daughter, who's still alive today, as far as I know, I haven't seen her in about a year now, uh, is still around, Patricia Bragg. Mm -hmm. And they have made a major impact in the world with health, uh, health crusades. And she's still a friend of mine. And uh, it's interesting, after all these years, 46 plus years, um, we're on the journey. She's in her 80s and she's still cranking, still doing things. Amazing. That's amazing. That, that's quite incredible. So, John, do you believe every human has a purpose? Well, I mean, unless there's uh, complete brain damage from injuries or genetic defects or whatever, genetic alterations, if, if there's a brain and there's a forebrain and it's in even remotely functioning, then there's the capacity to articulate meaning in life and extract meaning out of existence. And that's really what um, intelligence means, the ability to extract meaning out of our existence. That's what just differentiates, I think, from the animals. Is animals want to avoid pain, seek pleasure, avoid predators, seek prey, you know, avoid mortality and seek survival. And humans have the capacity to transcend that and be able to understand meaning even in the challenge. And I think that's what makes us distinct. And, and the intelligent individual is the one who's able to see that no matter what happens, supportive or challenging, there's a meaning in it. Like Viktor Frankl described uh, in his book, In Search of Meaning. Because I think that we have the capacity to define meaning and have something that's teleological and purposeful in life we may give it ourselves, but still when a person has that, they tend to thrive more so than just survive. Yes. And do you think everyone, like that's why we're put on earth, you'd like based on all, everything you've learned, would you say that is why humans are here on earth? Well, I don't know if I can state with absolute certainty what the purpose of how humans, of you know, their ultimate thing. I think that's individualized. As chemist, Albert Camus says that's, 
there's no universal thing that we can define as an absolute meaning and purpose for each individual. But collectively, you know, we can't say this is why we're here because each individual has a different meaning that they give life. Some are dedicated to raising families and procreating and having beautiful children. Some are dedicated to social causes as the numbers of population have grown. Some are dedicated to physical fitness, endurance, and, and stamina, and some are dedicated to business and finances. And there's many causes or many things. So it's what our voids in life determine our values, and our highest value determines what we think is most meaningful and purposeful. Yes. Our telos, as the ancient Greeks called it. And finding what that is and applying and pursuing that which is most meaningful to us, most inspiring to us, most purposeful to us, highest priority to us, is one of the keys to spontaneously achieving more and feeling more grateful for life and fulfilled in life. We expand ourselves and do more extraordinary things when we're being congruent and aligned with what we really value and what's most meaningful to us. And that's how we get the most meaning out of life, to the degree of our congruency with what is truly meaningful to us. Yes, yes. And the other interesting thing is when we're actually living within our highest values or by our highest values, our whole body, our whole physiology really does, it really performs at a, at a higher level. Is, is that true? Yeah, I think what happens is whenever we set a goal that is aligned and congruent with what we value most, our highest priority, the blood glucose and oxygen goes into the forebrain, the telencephalon, the executive center, the medial prefrontal cortex, which is involved in inspired vision, strategic planning, executing plans, and self-plans. And it impacts the autonomic nervous system through the hypothalamus and autonomics physiology and epigenetics and help cells normalize physiology and have homeostasis and in a sense have a natural feedback to normal function or ideal function. Yes. And so anytime we're living congruently, our physiology is more resilient and we're more adaptable and we're able to, uh, you know, innovate and create in situations that allow us to thrive and allows our physiology to maximize our use stress, not our distress, and our wellness instead of our illness. Yes. So without a doubt, living by priority helps us in, in the health area, mm -hmm. or well-being area, or wellness area. And living by lower values makes us impulsive and instinctful, which is searching and avoiding things we look for or try to avoid, pleasures and pains. It makes us more bipolar and we tend to strive for that which is unavailable and try to avoid that which is unavoidable and we create distress and illness in the process. As a feedback to let us know that we're not living congruently, I always say that symptoms are a feedback to help us guide us back to what's truly meaningful. And then when we get confirmed with that, our physiology normalizes and brings wellness. So wow. living and doing wow. what you love and loving what you do, it does have an impact on well-being. Mm -hmm. wow, that is quite, quite amazing. So John, I, I've, listen to a lot of your work around anxiety and depression and I, I work with a lot of people who who feel that they are controlled by those ways of being uh i would love for you to share quickly if you can what you believe will really debug both anxiety and depression for people so they've got an awareness of what it is and what they can actually do to start moving <clears throat> and free from it well, I always define depression as a comparison of your current reality to a fantasy that you're addicted to. And people, when they first hear that, they get sometimes offended by it, which is good. I, uh, I think that they need to kind of have a shakeup. Because many people right now are subordinating to the pharmaceutical model and the 
psychiatric model, a medical model that says that you have a biochemical imbalance. And that's true. It's not, no one would deny that there's a biochemical imbalance, but that doesn't mean that that's the cause that's concomitant with it. I know that if you were sitting in a room and opened up a door and I let in a giant tiger and it started to jump through the air to consume you with its fangs and it was salivating and two seconds before it was about to eat you, I stopped and freeze framed it with, with a men in black pen and then did your neurochemistry and blood chemistries. You would have a, an elevated testosterone, epinephrine, epinephrine, cortisol, histamine, substance P, and lower levels of serotonin, dopamine, enkephalons, endorphins, vasopressin, you know, and, and, and all the chemistries that would, be, that would be lowered that would be all pleasure-seeking. And then you would go there and you go, well, see, so you have a biochemical imbalance. You're, you're, you're frightened. You're depressed. But if I stopped and I opened up the pen again and the tiger stopped, and instead of eating you, it jumped and put its arms around you and it said, you're great. I'm Tony Tiger. Um, and you've always wanted to meet Tony Tiger since you've eaten Frosted Flakes when you were a kid. You, um, you all of a sudden would go, whoa, and your chemistry would change in about 800 milliseconds. And all your chemistries would reverse and go into serotonin and dopamine and oxygen, I mean, oxytocin and vasopressin and then estrogen instead of testosterone and the other ones. And your chemistry would change. So what we do is we have subconsciously stored perceptions that are affecting our chemistries, primarily because of previous experiences that we've never neutralized and balanced that accumulate, that affect our neurochemistry. And to just blame the chemistry is an easy cop-out. You know, we look for blame on the outside and we look for a, a solution on the outside so we don't have to be accountable. But the reality is that we accumulate lopsided, imbalanced, distorted, subjectively biased perceptions that create a desire to avoid and seek. And then we set up fantasies about how we want life to be. And then life seems more like a nightmare in the process. I've had thousands, and I mean literally thousands of people that have been clinically depressed that are no longer depressed. Mm -hmm. Not because they, they change their chemistry in the brain uh, by medication, but because they stopped and got grounded about their expectations and quit living in a fantasy about how things are supposed to be. Anytime you expect somebody to live in your values, anytime you expect somebody to be one-sided, always positive, never negative, always kind, never cruel, anytime you expect yourself to be one-sided, uh, always one-sided, or expect yourself to live outside your values, Anytime you have these unrealistic expectations, you're going to be depressed, frustrated. Yes. And it can lead to clinical states, particularly if you've had euphoric uh, fantasies fed you or experienced by either drug use or, or a dissociation from what you perceive to be traumas. You can actually create this split and get so polarized with your expectations and avoidance mechanisms that you can lead these chemistries. Mm -hmm. And if they aren't neutralized by somebody who knows what they're doing, uh, you'll end up on medication. And I'm grateful for medication. There's a place for it for people who are unwilling to go through and take the time to sort through and bring those those perceptions back into balance. But I'm interested in trying to empower people, not make them dependent. I, I'm not interested in, I don't think there's a deficiency of drugs uh, out there. I think what there is, is people are unwilling to be accountable. And a lot of the things we're taught in the world, as Paul Direct, the Nobel Prize winner said, it's not that we don't know so much, we know so much that isn't so. So we're basically bombarded by fantasies about how life's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be kind, never cruel, nice, never mean, positive, never negative, happy, never sad, considerate, never inconsiderate. 
And the freaking truth is no human being is one-sided. And people can't face that reality. They, they keep having this addiction to a fantasy. And no wonder their lives are unfulfilled. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a firm believer in cracking the myths, getting grounded, balance out their perceptions. I've developed a Demartini method, as you know, from the break, in the Breakthrough Experience to help them scientifically, reproducibly get that result. Mm-hmm. And I've got thousands of people to demonstrate that that can be done. Yes, that's, that's amazing. So that is an empowered life in your definition. It's, it's to be able to take... Well, empowered life is, is, is a state where no matter what happens in your life, you can use it to a great advantage, do something extraordinary. Yes, yes, that's amazing. Amazing. So, John, I'd, I'd like to just kind of change gears a little bit now. I'm a father. I've got two kids with another one on the way. And uh, the subject of discipline is something that I find fascinating. And there are so many opinions out there. Um, I would love to learn from you what you believe is the most effective way to raise children who will be, will essentially thrive in the, in the future. Well, every child, like every human of any age, uh, lives by a set of priorities, a set of values in their life. In the 1950s and 60s, maybe, uh, they used to be thought that, you know, parents have to give values to kids to socialize them or get them functioning or whatever. But the truth is children have values right from the beginning and they have their goals and dreams. Uh, it may be Zorro like I was when I was a kid, or it may be Batman or something, or it may be a video uh, leader. There's many things, or a soccer player, who knows what it is. But whatever that is, instead of making it wrong and telling, no, this is what's right, that's what's wrong, you need to do this, and preparing them to conform and fit in to society. Well, if you want a, a, a drone that becomes a worker for the society, then that's fine. If you want them to just comply and be obedient and fit in. But the people that do the extraordinary thing, as Steve Jobs wisely said, or Elon Musk just said the other day, is the misfits, the people that actually stand out and give themselves permission to be unique in their own individualities. Yeah. And so I'm a firm believer is finding out what children's values are mm-hmm. and not labeling them or making them wrong, but learning the art of communicating what you as an adult believe is important in terms of what the child believes is important. Yes. You know, if, if somebody came to you and you had a company and they were a potential customer, uh, if a person came there, they have a set of values, a set of needs, yes. and they're not loyal to you. They're loyal to their values, and they're wanting to fulfill those values. That's why they're looking for a product, service, or idea that you are providing. So if you're foolish, you'll go and tell them what they need instead of listen to what they need, and you'll basically tell them how great your product is or tell them how great you are instead of actually listen to what their needs are and see if you can't communicate the value of what you have in terms of it with integrity, making sure that it really is what they need. Yes. That's, a, that's how you sell. Selling is not uh, telling. Selling is asking questions and caring. Absolutely. And I think that's the difference in, in parents. The autocratic, frustrating projection of our values onto kids to think we know right is a guaranteed way to end up with attention deficit and defiant disorders. Yes. Because they're going to defy it because they have their own expression. Absolutely. But caring to find out what the children's values are. I had a gentleman in Sydney, Australia, actually, uh, that was sitting in the front row of my program about five years ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he, he said something about, I have a child that's, you know, disobedient and is getting in problems in, a, in early school and this and that. And, and I sat down and I explained to him, we, we determine what the child's values are by looking at what he does, by how they fill their space and spend their time and what they want to 
what energizes them, what makes them inspired and what they spend their money on and what they're disciplined and do spontaneously and things. We have a series of criteria, as you know, on my website and how to do that. And we made him go through there and do that. And then I, I trained him in front of about 500 people, maybe, how to communicate in his values, that values. Wow. And I came back three months later and I was speaking again. He was again in the front row of his father. And except this time he had his son with him. And he, I gave him the microphone and he says, I love my son. I've always loved him. But now we're communicating in ways I had no, no idea was possible. Instead of trying to fix him and change him and make him fit in and stuff, I'm honoring his reality as it's evolving because his reality, his values are going to be changing over the decade. Mm -hmm. you know, children may want to play and, and, and then they may want to socialize and there's different things. And whatever it is, it's not wrong at that stage. Yes. But we have to communicate. So we can show them how doing what we think will help them in their life, will help them fulfill their values. They'll become engaged and inspired to do it. And there's a skill at doing it, but a great leader knows how to do that. A great leader is not an autocrat with the punishment, reward, and motivations, which is a symptom. They're inspired visionaries that know how to communicate in people's values. And when people's values are being filled, they see, they're seen charismatic. charismatic. Yeah. So a parent can do the same thing. They're a leader of the family, but they're not to autocratically project. They're there to communicate the value. When teachers do that, children are, are, are inspired to go to class. And when parents do that, they're inspired to do the things that they need to be to be responsible. It's not about forcing them. It's about communicating with them the values in their values of doing it. So the kids are making decisions to do it. So there's a spontaneous, intrinsic drive to do it instead of a forced motivation from the outside. Otherwise, they live their whole life by extrinsic motivation instead of intrinsic inspiration. Wow. Well, that is so powerful. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. That is so useful. Um, so, John... People who are stressed about the future, what's the best way, in your opinion, for people to start dissolving stress about the future? Well, stress is based on two basic mechanisms. It's first of all, the inability to adapt to a changing environment. Mm -hmm. And stress has got two forms. It's the perception of the loss of something you seek and the perception of gain of something you're trying to avoid. Okay. So if you are seeking getting ahead financially and all you, you lose money or don't make money, you're going to be stressed. Or somebody comes along and adds bills that were unexpected, you're going to be stressed. Because they're trying to add something you don't want and trying to take away something you do want. So stress is basically because of not having the strategies or the adaptability to know how to deal with it. And the more infatuated we are with what we're looking for, and the more resentful we are to what we're trying to avoid, the more rigid our perceptions, the more subjectively biased our experiences, the higher the stress levels or distress levels of it. But the more we're living by our highest values and the more we're objective, which means more even-minded and not highly biased, the more we see both sides to things and the more adaptable and resilient we are because the gain and loss of it is less threatening. Yes. And so then we have, instead of distress, we have eustress. And eustress is wellness promoting. That means you're pursuing challenges that inspire you and you're willing to take them on because it has meaning. Yes. Otherwise, you're trying to avoid challenges that dispute you that you're trying to get the opposite of. And that's distress. So living by your highest values reduces stress levels. Filling your day with high-priority actions that are meaningful, that help you raise your self-worth, that achieve something that serves people, that contributes, that makes a difference, that re you receive income from, possibly. This is a, a wiser way to lower the distress levels and increase the eustress levels. 
But if you go and, and, and try to subordinate to the world on the outside, envy other people, inject their values in your life, try to fit in, conform, you know, mothers, fathers, preachers, teachers, conventions, traditions, and try to be a drone, and you're basically unfulfilled, you're going to be wanting to avoid pain and seek pleasure and use your amygdala to function instead of your executive center, and you're vulnerable to a higher distressful life. Not because you have to be, it's not because the world is, it's nothing to do with the world, it's your perception of the world. You have control of your perceptions, decisions, and actions. Not the world around you, but the perceptions of the world, the decisions you make, and the actions you take. Yes. And that can be turned into something that has meaning and fulfilling and you stressful if you change your perceptions. What do you see is an overarching uh, infatuation or way of thinking that people have in society nowadays that is really robbing them of fully living? Is there one in particular that's really like stifling, pe stifling people's potential? Well, one of the most disempowering things that some organizations or institutions in society has promulgated is the opium of the masses, the selling of the fantasy that you're supposed to be one-sided. Mm -hmm. And that, that is rampant. You know, you, there's a fantasy you're supposed to have only health, never disease, only happiness, never sadness, only harmony, never disharmony, only heaven, never hell kind of thing. And the pursuit of a one-sided thing, I always say bipolar conditions, a byproduct of monopolar addiction, the addiction to one side causes more splitting of the minds. Instead of an individual, which means an undivided person or undivided being, um, you have personas and masks and facades that we wear. We pretend that we're happier than we really are because we're supposed to be. And then we actually go the other extreme and repress our sadness and then all of a sudden it explodes and we end up bipolar. Mm -hmm. or not exactly clinically to bipolar, but kind of mood swinging all the time. We have cyclothymia or, or possibly borderline states of mind. Mm -hmm. We're unstable because we're constantly trying to do a one-sided act. Yes. You know, I gave that up about 34 years ago when I realized that that was futile. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't have this expectation. See, a human being, if I went up to somebody and I said, you're always kind, you're never cruel, you're always nice, you're never mean, you're always positive, never negative, always peaceful, never wrathful, their bullshit meter would go off and they go, not exactly. If I said, you're always mean, you're never nice, you're always cruel, you're never kind, you're always taking, never giving, always wrathful, never peaceful, always negative, never positive, again, the bullshit meter would go off, and they go, no, not, that's not it exactly. But if I said, sometimes they're kind, sometimes they're cruel, sometimes they're nice, sometimes they're mean, sometimes they're positive, sometimes they're negative, sometimes they're peaceful, sometimes wrathful, giving and taking, they would go, yep, that's me. They intuitively know with their bullshit meter that they have both sides. They're a hero and a villain, a saint and a sinner, a virtue and a vice. And when people finally embrace both sides of life and understand the magnificence of the whole thing, because they want to be loved for all of it, not one side all the time, they don't have to get rid of half of themselves to love themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's what is probably the most outrageous illusion that's probably promulgating in society is that you're trying to be a one-sided person. Yes. That's the problem with the false moralities of that nature. And it leads to the disempowerment because you're striving something you are self-defeating. And I try to help people love both parts of themselves. I'm not a nice person or a mean person. I'm a human being with a set of values. You communicate my values, I can be pretty nice. You can go against my values, I can be pretty mean. And neither one of those are right or wrong or good or bad. They're both necessary in order to fulfill your life. And life in society is filled with both sides. And if you can't face that and can't embrace that wholeheartedly and understand that the supportive side can make you juvenile dependent and keep you from really uh, growing, 
and the challenging side can make an entrepreneur and not more, uh, you know, precocious, independent and help you grow. When you can finally see the pros and cons of both sides and not try to avoid one and seek the other, you're on your way to mastering your life. Wow. That's so powerful. So John, what are you most inspired for, for the future? Well, what inspires me is I, I love researching and writing and organizing information yes. and disseminating the information and traveling the world teaching. Mm -hmm. That's been what I've been doing for 46 years. Uh, I love that. So anytime I can, I, I like to think of the universe as a cosmic puzzle. And every time I find new information that fits into the cosmic puzzle perfectly, and I have feeling of certainty about it, I feel, yeah, that's, that locks in as a real principle. Mm -hmm. I love, I can't wait to share that with new people around the world. And I also love interacting with people that do extraordinary things and overcome amazing odds as an exemplification of what's possible for human beings, which I think inspire people. Yes. So I want to live an inspired life and I want to empower all areas of life. I would say if you don't empower yourself uh, you know, intellectually, you'll be told what to think. If you don't empower yourself in business, you'll be told what to do. If you don't empower yourself financially, you'll be told what you're worth. If you don't empower yourself in a relationship, you'll be told and pushed around by your spouse or, or people around you. If you don't empower yourself socially, you'll probably live by the propaganda that you have been indoctrinated by. If you don't empower yourself uh, physically, you'll probably be told what organs to take and what drugs to take and what organs to remove. And if you don't empower yourself spiritually, you'll probably buy into some dogma that's irrational, that's antiquated, instead of actually being current on an objective data that's helping you grow in life. So I'm, I'm a firm believer that we're here to empower all areas of life. We look for mates that are empowered to give us the greatest advantage in us. And we'll deserve that if we go out and empower all our areas of life. So I'm interested in helping people live a magnificent life, empowered in all areas, and do something extraordinary. Yes. I wanted to do that. I want to help other people do that. Zig Ziglar taught me if I help other people do that, it helps me do that. Yes. I think we have to have equity between ourselves and others, not be narcissist or altruistic, but be a fair exchange that's sustainable, that gives a contribution, and receive a great reward and exemplify what's, what's possible as a, as a, I guess you could say, an inspired individual on the planet and honoring the magnificence of what we are instead of our insignificance. Yes. Such a powerful mission, John. And uh, I, again, I just need to thank you for everything you do. I, I really see that, you know, again, coming from a medical background, I got to see a lot of people who were just, I guess, being overwhelmed by life and their limiting perceptions. And so just seeing the work you do is, is truly inspiring. And I look forward to doing so much more of uh, your work with you in the future and learning more of your methodologies because I can see that yeah, they are, they're going to have a, a mega impact on the world, um, you know, into the future, long into the future. So thank you so much for all you're doing. Thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for caring enough to make this possible so we can make a little dent in somebody's life, a little contribution possibly. There you have it, my friends. I hope you got incredible value from today's interview. Be sure to follow the work that our incredible guest today is doing. Okay, get amongst it, guys. They are up to big things. Before we wrap up, guys, I want to take a minute to acknowledge you. Sincerely, I want you to feel this. I, I acknowledge you for being someone who values their life enough to invest the time to listen to this audio. I want you to get the most value out of this. So again, be sure to, to apply what you learn. Be sure to share what you learned with other people. Share this interview out with the people you care about. You know, a few years back, I, I used to immerse myself in listening to podcasts. I used to listen to three, four podcasts a day as I was working a job that wasn't necessarily that inspiring to me, but I did it. 
and it's a dream come true for me to be here interviewing people nowadays. And you having you here supports me in my dreams. So that's why I'm really so grateful for you being here. Uh, and I want to I want to support you even further. I want to give you the opportunity again. Head over to iamnashmackie.com. I want you to be part of our, our next guest interviews coming up. I want to be for you to be part of our community. So head over to iamnashmackie.com. Subscribe. Also claim your free one-on-one strategy session. I'm really so excited to connect with you and help you build a powerful identity, guys. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your energy. I look forward to bringing you another incredible guest interview. Thank you for joining me for the Thoughts on Purpose podcast.